All right, everybody, welcome to Greg's Garage 5 with Coach Jason Primmore, presented by Bike911.com. Bike911.com, that's the website you go to. If you need some legal advice, go reach out to our boy Alex Asante. He'll get you handled. Tell him Jason Pridmore sent you. Sorry, everybody, for skipping a week. I was... Yeah, and a half hour south. Maybe not going to give me the blame for this week. No, nah, this one's all on me. It was all on me. I would have done it. I would have done it, but I, um, I had everything too. But the internet you? connection was trash. It was not yeah. so good down in Old Chile. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. All right. Would you have a good time down there? Yeah, it was good. Archery. A lot of people don't know about the Pan Am Games, Jay. So it's the Pan American Games, and it's held every four years, and it's always held the year before the Olympics. Okay. And they're Olympic sports with a couple of additions that you don't find in the Olympics. Like archery, for instance, we run recurve, Olympic recurve in the Olympic competitions, which is, you know, your traditional kind of single string bow with a stabilizer and a, and a sight. And then I compete with a compound bow. So compound was actually there. And, um, you know, but there's Jay, there's, there's, you know, track and field events and there's mm. gymnastics volleyball, BMX racing, you know, That's road great. cycling, like triathlon, and the U.S. mopped up. Did you get to see anything out? Did you get to see anything else while you were down there? I didn't. Um, yeah. In the venue where we were in, uh-huh. we had BMX, we had a velodrome, and we had a sand volleyball, but archery was the last five days of a, of the two, two-and-a-half-week event. So they and already the did all their we, stuff, Yeah, huh? by the time we got to our venue, everything was kind of empty. Oh, uh, Okay. I go back down next week for Para, the Para yep. Pan Am Games, but it's cool. So, so basically, what people don't really realize is like a it's like a warm up for the Olympics, and there's trials for it and everything. But in this particular case, it's just the Americas. Yeah. So Canada, us, Mexico, all of South America, and then they have the Asian Games, and they you know where you which is going to include like India, you know. Um, Kazakhstan, yeah, yeah. Korea, Japan, all that whole region. <clears throat> yep. And then you have the European games as well that yeah. happens. And so this was actually Chile. It was their first time hosting an event of this size. And and it was pretty impressive. I enjoyed oh, Santiago. Very dry. Yeah. But we we literally, in the 10 days I was there, we had all seasons. So Oh, I mean, no way. Yeah, you said you were cold earlier when I talked to you. You said, yeah, there was one day it rained. There was a was day cold. it rained, then turned to hail. And then on just above us on the skyline, and Santiago's kind of in this like valley area, and all the mountains got snow. Wow! And then the last couple of days we were there, it was it was peaking at seventy eight degrees and sunny, and uh, pretty cool. So hopefully weather will be uh, more decent. So yeah, we got canceled half our one of our days got canceled to five days of shooting. Oh okay, yep. But every every American that went down there to shoot got a medal, which was great. Yeah, that's great. And then we broke all kinds of like uh, Pan Am records and stuff. Ah, so good. yeah, Great. it was, it was fun. So I was down oh, there cool, commentating man. and with my friend Gabby from originally from Mexico. Now she lives, lives in the Netherlands. So I would do like English commentary and then she would follow it up next to me with the Spanish stuff. So, ah, okay. Yeah. Nice. Place. Ah, very good. Well, good. I'm glad you're going back down and, uh, I'll be on the road for the next 10 days. I leave. Yeah. You're going to visit Jeff White, aren't you? You and Jeff White got to be Jeff, best friends. Me and Jeff. Yeah. Jeff. Got my rock solid t-shirt. I'm ready to go, man. <laughs> Yeah. Stoked. Uh, yeah, no, so I'm I'm headed out Chuckwalla for, yeah, it's going to be great. Looking forward to getting out there and seeing everybody. And I've got uh, SoCal track days on the weekend. And I'm going to do a thing with Patricia Fernandez on Friday. Um, I'm doing a special like school class on uh, Friday for her and twins on track, bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of Harleys and, 
and baggers and things, but I guess it's open to everybody now. So they've, they've opened it up to where anybody could come, which is good. And then, yeah. um, then I got like a full week out there, you know, they got the races and everybody's going to be, Oh, are you staying? So you're staying at Chuck Wall yeah. the whole time. I'll stay out okay. there. I'll just stay there. And, um, yeah, just do, do my thing out there. And like I said, it'd be good to see everybody missed everybody last month. Cause I was overseas. Um, you know, I was overseas with the guys went to world Superbike and all that. So I didn't get to go to the first round of CVMA felt a little weird. And, um, so we'll be back out there this week and you and I got a lot to talk about cause we got, what do we got? We got MotoGP world Superbike on this one. And then we got three races on the trot getting ready to start this weekend, uh, in Malaysia for MotoGP to close out the season. That's right. And if you haven't used your turbos like me, you better, You're styling. Fantasy, you better think about it though. I got yeah, You better get on it. Yeah, Don't I forget, you know, like that's the worst thing is I left one in the bank last year because I forgot I had it. Oh, you did. That's right. Yeah, yeah good point. Did. All right. So, Jay, we are, he's already talked about what we're going to talk about. If you want to support the channel, not because there's any exclusive content on there or any real advantage other than you like the channel, you can go to our Patreon page. It's Patreon slash Greg's Garage TV if you want to check it out and support the channel. Uh, we'd love it. And um, yeah, that's about it. So why don't we just get to our news presented by Arai? let's see jason what am i going to read for you today hmm let me see what is jason pridmore worthy of reading today (laughs) uh let's see how about hey jp did you know that every awry helmet is meticulously handcrafted by the men and women at awry who are actively participating in the Arai mission to present the highest level of protection and quality. From the shell to the paint to the liner, the work is performed by hand. Just like, Jason, when you, at 10 o'clock at night, like to pick a cookie up off of the countertop and use your hand to put that cookie in your mouth, these things are made by hand. It's true. Just another reason to go check out AraiAmericas.com. Is your local Arai dealer for proper fitment, Go check out the paint jobs. Get yourself a helmet. Because Jason Pridmore, it's November 8th, which means the holiday season is here. It is. Think about getting yourself or your loved one a helmet. Arai is your choice. All right. Oh, boy. I mean, what's interesting is it's it's more or less the offseason at this point, right? Yeah. Only MotoGP left. But there's so much stuff. So I don't really know like what's happened in the last couple of weeks. Kawasaki launched the retro-inspired 40th anniversary ninjas. Did you see that? I did not. Oh, dude. Oh, like yeah, I did. I did see it. 4RR. They're all painted like it. Oh, like my god. the old ones, yes. Yeah, dude, looks That's so right. good. Uh, Rins had surgery. Brandon Posh here from Moto America had shoulder surgery. Applications for the 2024 Moto America uh, Royal Enfield Build Train Race Program are open. So if you want to come, you got to go check that out. You can go to roadracingworld.com. Like, I don't know where to start, but how about we do some World Superbike stuff? So, did you see that HRC re-signed Likawona and Vierge for World Superbike for next year? I did. What do you think? I, I just think it's really interesting. All of that, to me, is is interesting. Um, I think when you really look at the names that they've had on that bike since they started, it's, I mean, Batista's the one guy that came from MotoGP that rode it. Likawona has two, but I don't really, like, Okay, I, I, I don't mean it to be a slight on him, but it wasn't like he was a really successful MotoGP guy, and now he's at World Superbike. Um, 
that bike is it's mysterious to me you know what are we four years into that project or five years into the project almost Mm -hmm. yeah and there's just really been no big steps so it's going to be interesting to see i know you know i'm 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 good enough friends with Leon Camier that I can go up and talk to him and we hang and at the, when I, when I see him at the track guys, just so cool. And I know that they're busting their asses to try to get that bike better, but I feel like they're kind of in the same spot right now, even as, um, as BMW where they've had this project and they haven't really seen that jolt of, of success. You know, there's not really been anything yet that makes you go like, wow, that's just on its on the right path. Now, a couple hours ago, Jason, so EICMA is going on. The big motorcycle show in Milan is going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. And Honda just took the took the cover off the new CBR1000RRRR Fireblade. Yep. It's a modified version, right? So it'll be the bike they're racing next year. Yep. And of the, you know, it's so funny because when you watch it, you go, oh, this is like the new World Superbike platform. And most of the stuff was irrelevant for World Superbike okay. other than there is a new balance to the bike, which leads me to believe that they shifted the engine in the chassis somewhere. Yeah. So of like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a little bit more powerful or the engine or the power delivery smoother. Who cares? That's a street bike. The electronics yeah. are going to change. You get world Superbike parts. So the thing is, I, I saw it just briefly. I don't know where I saw it, where they unveiled it. Um, oh, it's on, uh, if you go to World Superbike's website. Okay. So they launched it. So what they say is the big reveal is um, aerodynamics, which can which the aerodynamics can affect World Superbike. Uh, they upgraded the gearbox, the power delivery, and the rebalancing of the chassis. Yeah. So that's where I think this bike looks. I mean, you know, from a from a, the pictures they have of this thing or the renderings of people on the bike, whatever they have, thing looks pretty much the same. Looks good. Okay. Looks smooth. But that might be a very critical step for HRC program moving forward. The only thing is, Jay, let me ask you this question. This is the weirdest thing because of where HRC is with MotoGP. Do you trust them to build a good competent bike right now? I just think it's, it's scary. I was thinking about this last night because I knew we were going to do the podcast. And it's like, I never thought I'd ever have to hear hear myself say this, but I kind of want Honda to start winning again because it's better for the sport all the way around. And it's, um, you could see the shakeups of what's happening. Greg, don't you think it's an effect, though, of like how, especially when you talk about World Superbike, the effects of what you see now, all this trickle down of, of you know, with Johnny moving and Top Rack moving, and then, you know, you got the, the Honda thing's kind of the same. I, I think that you're, the balancing of the rules are making it to where people just want to move around and and don't want to be sitting on their laurels and Hopefully the Honda riders this year will have, like you say, something a little bit newer or at least something that's going to give them the motivation to go like, all right, this is better. We're, we're, we're good now. I don't know where Vierge or, or Lekawona could have gone, but if you look in the case of like Kawasaki and you see what came out on bike sport news today, just with the little interview with Johnny Ray, he just didn't want to be in the same position he's been in for the last two years with a bike that's a bit stagnant and not really catered to any kind of rules for for them. And, you know, when you look at it, what a what a nice little shot in the arm for him at 37 years old or 30. I think he's 37, Johnny is. But when you look at it, you think to yourself, well, now he got to go ride that bike. He loved it from, from I, I, I text him a little bit. He's like, Jay, it was it was refreshing. It was fun. He had a good time. You know, he liked the bike. And I also think that it opened his eyes up to what those guys on the Yamahas have been able to do with the tires 
compared to what the Kawasaki can do with the tires. The Kawi needs a big revamp also. And any little changes they make to it right now, to the Kawi, are all so small that Johnny and just didn't feel like it was worth sticking around for another year of just kind of getting his head bashed in. Hmm. I think, you know, so, you know, Jonathan Ray has his own YouTube channel. So go to YouTube, search for him and subscribe to his channel. He put out a video. I don't know if you saw it or not. But it was a couple of days ago. He put the video out where it was like him going into the garage, you know, putting on the blue shirt, meeting Paul Denning and how everybody was like, wow, man, it's weird to see you in blue. Yeah. But it was also a little bit of him getting ergonomically fit to the bike yeah. and his initial comments about how narrow the thing is. We're yeah. talking about seating position. You know, it's really funny because like there's a bunch of dudes right now who do like track days. Yeah. And they're and and this dude makes like this this like tank extender. Yeah. So it pushes people to the back of the bike. Yeah. And I, I I'm not a fan of it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense if you're gonna, you know, like push yourself to the back of the seat. You don't mm-hmm. need to, even with taller riders. The first thing Johnny did was get a seat. One of those like things you put on the back of the seat to push him towards the tank. Yeah, push because him the top rack on it, there's so much room back there in the seat. He wants to be connected to the tank, as you know. I mean, your riding style, you know, there's a bunch of people. My riding style, Josh Hayes's riding style. It's like you know, it's being connected to the tank. And so <clears throat> it was really nice watching him kind of get on the bike and talking about like how much room there was behind the fairing and how much it was going to protect him behind the fairing and all kinds of stuff so sorry folks i have a cold i caught a wicked cold down in in chile um that is many many days old but it's hanging around my throat so apologize for that but so um it's kind of a cool video i would go check it out you know and especially now i think it's it just i have so much more interest than i did before i mean i love watching johnny's stuff on youtube but now i'm making it a priority because i'm like oh he's he's got a whole new experience that we're going to be along the ride for of trying to learn this bike and ride this thing around and do all that kind of stuff. But it's cool. So go check out Johnny's channel on YouTube. I know you'd appreciate the subscription. He's paying good money. I'm sure to his editors and his videographers, and they're working really hard to create some really good content. So go check it out. But how about the fact, Jason, that uh, reading the trades, Alex Lowe's gets a new crew chief uh, in the world super bike deal. So, you know, you know anything about that? I mean, I'm sure he's pretty excited about that bit. Yeah, I think having Perry there is going to be a better uh, change. It's, it's you know, for Johnny to leave and then not be able to take Perry with him, it opened up an opportunity. Al's been working with Marcel there for, I think, three years or one, four, maybe it's three. And I think that, uh, you know, Marcel's been in that program since the MotoGP days of Kawasaki. So I think that there was just a change that was needed um, in the sense of just get some fresh ideas. Look, Alex has been on that bike for three years. Now he's going to get to go get a fresh perspective, maybe in certain ways from Johnny's side of the garage, you know, where, you know, if you can't look back and learn from a guy like Johnny Ray, that would be a shame because now, now he can actually go there having had experience on that bike for so long and look at what Johnny was doing on the thing. And I think for him, um, as much as Johnny moved on to Yamaha, and that was a fresh start for him. I think for Al, it's going to be a little bit of a fresh start for him as well because uh, he's going to maybe get some new ideas and thoughts about how to get that bike uh, a little bit better for him. What do you think about? Uh, well, we're going to talk more about results, and and that'll yeah. come up when we talk about you know World Superbike. So, um, other good news: 
New Jersey and Mid Ohio paved. Great paved. So great. pretty excited about that. What do you think? I think it's fantastic. I think like when you think about it, we've had Road America get repaved. You got a place like the Ridge that's actually very smooth and nice. Um, that was what a couple years old, three years old that pavement. Yeah. So I think that's that's pretty fresh, and we hear the riders talking about that. I was I saw a thing the other day, not to jump subjects, but it was funny because they were asking. Thick Boat America did it. Like they're asking the riders their favorite tracks, and Gagne actually said the Ridge is his favorite track. So that was uh, that was, I was interesting to, to see hear. that. I did yeah, see that. I-, I liked it though because. You know, I think a lot of times we get stuck in the narratives of the Road Americas, which for me, Road America is just epic. Um, Road America is obviously great. Barber's good. Um, but now, you know, you look at it like Barber's pretty smooth. Ridge is great. Road America is unparalleled so far. And now you've got New Jersey that's been on our calendar for years and years. They've made a step and repaved their place. And then, of course, Mid-Ohio. I mean, I think everybody's just so pumped to get back to Mid-Ohio, but and then also Laguna Seca. All of our tracks, really, Greg, have had pretty big facelifts. There's six tracks just there that we named that are all pretty good. And I'm I'm trying to think what our other tracks are. Brainerd obviously could use a repave. Um, Brainerd's kind of funny though. It's it's really not for as old as that pavement is. It's not that not that bad. That bad, really. Yeah. So, um, like from riding there the last couple of years, I can't really say that I remember any huge bumps that were just really disturbing. Um, where else is there that road Atlanta? I don't know. I haven't ridden there for, for years, so I wouldn't really know what that one is like. And of course, Coda, which we all know is, is the way it is. But I, you know, I actually really had a lot of fun at Coda the last time I was there. So, um, no, it's nice to see that the tracks are all getting a little bit better. So on the MotoGP website, they actually posted up an interview with their CCO. Mm-hmm. The CCO is, uh, like a chief commercial operator or our officer i mean kind of like what a chief business officer would be okay where they oversee the implementation of like sales commercial strategies and so on and it's actually an american guy named uh dan rosamondo who is a former nba executive so the sports journal from the u.s talked to him and in there he talks about uh that moto gp is looking for a second race in the united states and that's from that new track, Flat Rock, which is in Tennessee. I don't know ah, if it, yes. a lot of people have heard about it, uh, yeah. but it's outside of Knoxville, I think, pretty sure it's Knoxville. Mm-hmm. Um, and the place is designed to be world-class, Formula One, MotoGP, and Moto America is looking into it as well. I know that they have, I've seen video, like drone video of, it, it's like it graded and everything else. They might have started paving it, but eventually Flat Rock. So you've seen like, like video of the property. A video of the property. Got it video of the actual racetrack like it's it's got a lot of elevation it's designed with motorcycles in mind to be fim and fia one homologation uh it's going to be a community type thing jay where you have a general entrance that's going to have shopping and homes of houses and you know um you know townhouses and all kinds of stuff and there would be like an entrance where like club people would go in, but then they have an entirely separate entrance and area set on the other side of the track. That would be for professional paddocks and semis wow. to be rolling in and everything. Like there's a lot of forethought that goes into this thing. That's great. And it's not too, too far from the Atlanta area. Um, and I know that uh, they were talking about that, but in this article too, talking about uh, flat, ro- flat rock, there was also some information about the growth of MotoGP. And what he says is in t- 2023 has been an outstanding year for the sport. 
Um, and I'm just kind of taking some bits and pieces out of it. The TV global audience was up more than 20% from 2022. The event attendance was not only up from 2022, but also from 2019 before the pandemic of more than 1.6 million people at an all-time high passed through the gates um, at the circuits after only 12 rounds of competition. So things are looking good for MotoGP um, in terms of their popularity, and it had been slipping the last couple of years, especially with the increase in the States and some other countries with Formula One based on the back of that Netflix show that they do, um, whatever it's called, you know. Drive to Survive or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. So... What I'm going to be very, you know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine earlier and we were talking about 2024. And, you know, unfortunately, Jay, I'm not sure what it's like in the golf world, but in the archery side of things, on the bicycle side of things and and motorcycle sales, everything is really stalled in terms mm-hmm. of like recreational sports sales and everything. So hopefully people are still going to be as as energetic and energized to come out to the races in 2024 because Moto America continues to see growth that way. And we do have a couple of new racetracks on the horizon, like this Flat Rock that's in Tennessee and a couple other tracks that are out there as well that we could possibly be going to. And you just add back to the mix mid-Ohio. I mean, that's one of the biggest things for us in the United States for, for motorcycle racing is trying to find tracks that are motorcycle friendly, that are safe. Right, right. I think that when you look at it, the, sadly that we lost Pittsburgh this year, um, and I understand the reasons I do. Uh, and don't know if those reasons will ever come out, but they, but I understand it. And, um, uh, and, and we pick up mid Ohio, which is fantastic. I think that there are tracks, like you say, the new track in Tennessee, it would be great, Greg. I think for us, if we could ever get back to Indy, I loved going there. And oh, I, geez, uh, I think a lot amazing. of the riders like the place and I think it's a, it's a good venue for, for people to watch. So Indy would be great to go back to someday if that was ever possible. So, there are tracks out there and you know if, if our series was you know 10 10 11 races deep or strong that would be amazing if we could do it just a matter of you know of of, of course the costs and things go up i think moto america's done a good job i wasn't sure i don't know what you and i've never even talked about this but the way they've kind of split the classes and certain bikes or certain classes go to certain tracks and that kind of thing i know it could be a bit confusing because you got to kind of look those things up and find out, you know, where you're, where are the classes that you want to go watch? Where are they actually riding? Like Stock Thousand, let's say. Um, but I think it's made it a little bit more sustainable for some people and some teams. And it's given riders options of like, well, on the weekends that I can't ride Stock Thousand, I'm going to ride something else at a Motor America weekend, possibly. You know? So um, there are ways of doing it. Our country's just so huge that it just costs so much money to get around it, you know? And oh that's, yeah, that's the thing that we fight. Dude, I saw this video today. It was just, it's it's off topic, but there was a guy from the UK. This video pops up, and someone says, like, some girl's talking from the UK, and she's like, "I'm from so and so in England." And somebody asked me, some American asked me, "Is that close to London?" <laughs> no, we are two hours away from London. That's not close. And this this British dude comes on. He goes, "Let me explain something to you. All right, if you're American, two hours away is nothing. That's, That's like nothing. a like, it's like a commute to work yes. for some people. Like if you're in the UK and you live on, and this is a British dude talking. You're on yeah. a tiny island. You think two hours is a long way away. Yeah. So yeah, just say you're near London. Just say you're two hours away from London. And everybody yeah. from it, he's like, you can drive eleven hours in Texas and never leave Texas. Never leave Texas. Yeah. And I was yeah. laughing because I was that thinking about it." At the time, exactly what you were talking about. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. our problem with racing. 
we don't have as many fans that can go to all of our races. That's you know, right. I hear stories about people in the UK that make all the BSB rounds. That's right. That's because right. it's, you know, especially if they live in the close. middle. Everything's close. Relative, yeah. you know, relative, right? Like Relatively, but, yes. But, yes. But, but, you know, look, if I want to jump in my car and go to Laguna Seca, that's a almost a three-day drive. Correct. You know? Yeah. A little difference than <laughs> going six hours. That's from, right. From one tip of the UK to the other tip. But, yeah, the, the point is well taken. Yeah. So... I don't really have much more on the news front, Jay. I mean, there's a lot of little stories that are coming in and out. I don't know if you saw today, by the way, if you saw that globally Kawasaki has announced that they're getting rid of the Ninja 400 in favor of the Ninja 500. So basically what they're doing is upgrading that 399cc motor, that twin that they have. They're going to give it a longer stroke, Jay, and they're going to make it a 451. Now, all that really should do is add torque because it's in a spec, like a class two or something spec which is a horsepower to weight ratio. So they only have two or three more horsepower. So it may go to 48 horsepower. Okay. But in terms of like, and they said they're getting rid of the 400. Now we are the US. So for all I know, we could have the 400 for three more years. But if for some reason it disappeared for next year, as of this moment, I talked to Moto America, that bike is not homologated. So if you're in racing and you're thinking, I'm going to go buy a Ninja 500 to race in the Twins Cup class, or sorry, the Junior Cup class, yeah. do yourself a favor. Don't don't, don't be do doing it. any of that stuff if that's the case. But I so, saw what Aprilia just came out with like a 495 as well. I know. Thing looks hot too. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you know what? What's yeah, going to happen, Jay? Over the, over the course of the next few years, you're, you're going to have to see Moto America make adjustments. That's mm-hmm. just the way it is. It's going to be made adjustments on the bikes that are sold, rules that are going to be in place, everything else. So... If you think the way Moto America is currently is going to last forever, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. But I think it's exciting that we're going to see the evolution of things and how classes are going to move around and displacement. And a lot of that has to do with uh, what the industry decides they want to build all based off of market demand. And right now, this kind of middleweight bike, smaller middleweight bikes are in demand. That's right. They are. And I think that uh, when you look at it, it's we have the possibilities of it'd be great to have two or three manufacturers in a small bike class like that. I, I actually like our junior cup. I think it sets a good platform for a lot of our racers. Then they can move to twins cup or whatever. If they were to bump the displacement of these bikes and get the new Ninja in, and then maybe the Aprilia and whatever else, it would be fun to have a couple more bikes out there. Greg, let's talk about MotoGP because this last, well, two weeks ago now, almost two weeks ago now. My bad. No, nah, no worries. We we had the race in uh, where was it? Was it Turkey? No, it was in uh, I was yeah, in Thailand. Thailand. Yeah, Thailand, I was in yeah. Turkey. I don't know why. I, know. Um, I did it last time on the podcast, but they were in Thailand. What a weekend! Um, really good, close, hard racing. Um, and and you know, really, it's coming down after after Jorge Martin's crash in India. The the points gap was like twenty eight points, and it was like, oh, he's throwing it away. But I mean, honestly, Martin to me is still. I mean, for me personally, even even four rounds ago, I was saying I think he could, he is going to win the championship. Um, it's not a question of can he, but but will he actually get it done? Um, but uh, in the sprint race, it was Martin and Bender with Luca Marini ended up third. Mark Marquez tremendous fourth place over Aleish Bedzeki. Bagnaya ends up seventh. Greg in this in this sprint race. Then it was Alex Marquez. And Zarco that rounded out the points with Jack Miller tenth um, in that sprint race. Greg, it was it's it's kind of gotten to the point now where you look at Bagnaya, you look at Martin, and you're like, well, who's the next guy? And it's like it's not even a question, is it? Right now, it's it's definitely Binder. 
He has found a way to get that KTM solidly up in those top three to five positions every weekend. He's gotten better during qualifying and his in his Q and his practice sessions. Binder just kind of seems like the guy. I know he's eliminated now from championship contention in the sense of winning the championship, but he could definitely be the biggest spoiler, I think. When you start thinking about how Ducati riders are going to have to deal with racing against Bagnaia and Martin, you look at Marini and Bedzecki, they're going to be on Ducati's next year. I, I don't know how that's going to work out with them racing the other two Ducatis of Bagnaia and Martin in these last three rounds. Um, but Binder's not going to care, is he? Binder's not going to care. I don't think Zarco's going to care. Zarco's moving on to Honda. He can be close enough. Alex Marquez is another guy, but DiGiantonio is not going to care. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these next three rounds work because the manufacturer itself, Ducati, has got really, they got eight strong riders right now. DiGiantonio's really stepped up. And now you got to see how are they going to handle, how are they going to handle how people ride around Bagnaia and Martin. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. But Binder seems like the guy that's could be that wild card. Ben, the thing about Binder too is that like Binder seems to have enough respect that if it came down to it, I I kind of would think if he was going to make a super risky move and clean someone out and decide this championship that he might not do it this late in the season. I agree with you. I don't think he's that guy. He's not that guy. And so that's the part that's going to be, I'll be all eyes on that. Yeah. Because he's, he, he, he can put himself in that position right in the middle of that Ducati uh, melee right there and, and, and to really be able to decide who's going to win this championship. And he wants to do right by his manufacturer. And the good news for Bender is that he's on another, what, two years. I think he's got a two year, at least two year deal beyond yeah. this point with KTM. So are you surprised? About Bender, you know, coming from where he came from and, and his performance in like Moto Three, Moto Two, as we saw him coming up, are you surprised he's as good as he is? Um, no, he, but he doesn't. He doesn't have the. He doesn't necessarily have a riding. He's got his own way of riding a bike, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's not as you know the way all these people think. He just seems like a a blue collar guy to me. Like I know he comes from money. From what I've been told, he comes from a lot of money. And he just seems like a grinder. Like I love the the way he grinds out his laps. Um, I like how he is willing. If you watch his racecraft, he's willing to take chances at times. Um, I know that. I think it was India. Where was it? Where he was kind of bashing everybody. He was kind of running into guys, and he got long lap penalties. I can't remember where it was. Um, yeah, I know. You're, I, I want to say talking about. Yeah, I just can't. It, they all kind of blend together a little bit, but. He's willing to take chances. Um, he, he doesn't just settle. And I think that's the thing I like about him. He's going to have a go. And it will be interesting. I think that we live in a time now in racing where guys are much more respectful to the guys leading the championship coming into the last three rounds. If this is 10, 15, 20 years ago. It was like still every man for himself and let those two guys figure it out. Um, but... Is, do you kind of see like something weird happening with the KTM thing now too? Like he's the only guy really capable of running the KTM up in the front, isn't he? Like, yeah. Now there's talk though about getting Jack Miller off of the factory KTM. Yeah, and moving on to the Acosta onto the with Bender. Yeah, but 
it's weird because something's obviously missing with Jack. And the thing I the thing I find interesting with that is, I think Jack has that extra ten percent in him, but he falls when he gets that extra ten percent. Because if you've watched, he's been finishing every race. It's almost like he's had a little talking to or something. I don't know if that is the case because I don't know. But it's like I've noticed that he's finishing races. He's not finishing them in the places that I think he wants. In this case, in the sprint race, like I said, he was intent. And then if you go and you look at the the actual Grand Prix itself, um, he finished six. I mean, Greg, he finished 16th. And it's, you know, he's behind Raul Fernandez. He's behind Nakagami. He's behind Juan Mir. And I look at it like, I think Jack's better than that. I mean, I I really, obviously I do. But this Acosta kid's going to come in after, he'll probably win the championship this next weekend. KTM is not shy about moving people around or kicking them out, you know? I mean, they signed five, they have five riders with four bikes, and they just were, like, living with that for a few months. Of like, well, it'll figure itself out. What are we going to do, you know? Yeah, um, I, don't think, I don't think this, like, the Bender situation isn't a Mark Marquez situation on Honda. No. Like, from 2019? Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. And the reason I say that, though, Jay, is because I think you have, you know, there's something going on with Miller. I don't know if it's the life change. He got married. He has a kid. He slowed down a little bit because whether he needs to admit it or not, sometimes that can happen. You have Polo Spargo who's on, you know, was trying to come back, you know, still and trying to find some speed. So I, I kind of put those two guys like, you know, they're on the same bike, right? They're KTMs, one on gas, gas, one in factory. But I look at like Adrian Fernandez and I think to myself, you know what? Um, Augusto Fernandez, you mean? Sorry, Augusto Fernandez. Yeah, yeah. I look at Augusto Fernandez, and I think, you know what? Yeah, he finished seventeenth, like in in the the featured long race, but he's been getting better and a yeah. little bit better, and he's had a couple of results that you're like they're titillating results where you're just like, oh yeah, yeah, he's getting there, he's getting there. So I can't say right now that that's the situation with uh, with with KTM just yet. That there's only one guy that can ride the bike because I think of the stable of four they have, they have one rider that's still learning. And the other two don't seem to be right on top of their game. And Bender's taking a really good motorcycle. That's why if Acosta moves there, I think that if the bike is as good as Bender makes it out to be, that Acosta, by midway through the season, should be kind of racing close. You know what I mean? To a Bender or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I also think there is the possibility that Bender could be that special. You know, oh, I think that, he is definitely. I, I, and that Jack was yeah. good, and he, yep. you know, he was up front a couple times on a Ducati that won the world championship and won a couple races and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I think Bender's special, and I also think that had Bender been the Brad Bender he is right now, fifteen years ago, where you could bang bang off people and do things. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the field would have been in trouble because he's got a really good way of positioning himself, positioning himself in the bike to make contact and get and not fall down. Yeah. You know? Yep. I agree. I, I totally agree with everything you Both said. Sure. And I think, but I, I just feel, mm -hmm. I feel and fear that, you know, what you said just now, I mean, we're, we're seeing Bender up front and not, you look at the gas gas bikes, like you said, you know, I mean, it was um, the last two bikes that actually finished were Fernandez and Paul Spargo on the, on the gas gas bikes. And Greg, they were separated by a 10th of a second. And, and Jack was four seconds up the road from them. So they actually went 16, 17, and 18, and, you know, they were 17 seconds behind Bender, and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. Now, this race, this Grand Prix was, uh, was an incredible race. Uh, Martin got out kind of early. Bender went with him. Bagnaya kind of worked his way through. 
And we, we ended up having a great three rider scrap at the front. Um, it, it was, it was like at one point you were waiting for the mistakes to happen. There really weren't any mistakes by these three riders. When you look back and you look at it, it was just good, solid, hard racing. The one time where Bagnaya went down the outside of both of them coming into the last corner. I was like, whoa. I was, I was the same. I'm like, does what's going on here? And you know, obviously he didn't make it work, but you could tell that he wasn't going to rest on his laurels, Bagnaya. He has got to take a few shots at Martin. He has literally got to do it because Martin has proven that he's going to be, he's not going through Q, Q1 to get to Q2. He's always on the front row right now. Um, and he gets rocket starts and he's not afraid to lead. I think all those things are tremendous assets for him. Um, he rides the bike really, really aggressive and really hard. And I think he learned from his mistakes in, well, I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I still don't think what he did in Australia was a mistake. I think it was bad thing. Yeah, with the tire, I still bad look tire at it. choice. Not the bat, not the tires bad with eight laps, tires. eight laps to go and the championships. I think he'd be leading the championship right now if that race in Phillip Island would have ended the way it did. I think he's, what is he, eight points back now or something? So, um, yeah. So when you look at it, when you look at the final results of the sprint race or the, of the actual Grand Prix, it was Martin over Bagnaya. And again, Greg, if you look on the results sheets, you're going to see that Bagnaya was 0.2 back and Bender was 0.1. Bender went out onto the green. For the third time this year, Bender's been docked uh, positions because of going out onto the green paint at the on the last lap so naughty boy uh, how dare you makes me crazy but zeki quadraro ended up fifth i mean i mean the yamaha is still showing that it can kind of be there at certain places yeah but is riding the sack off the he is he is riding so hard and marquez ends up six which again tremendous results from those two guys seventh marini then alash then de antonio ends up ninth uh zarco tenth after winning in Australia, um, he was down the bottom of the timesheets a lot, Greg, too, at, during the week. So I think ninth probably for him wasn't that bad. Morbidelli, Mir Bastianini, who's another guy that we're hearing is a little bit on a hot seat. I mean, they're just, I'm reading the same stuff you are, I'm sure, about Martin maybe jumping into that factory team next year and Bastianini moving over to Pramac. But I mean, at this point, I. <sighs> Unless something really fishy goes on where they want a red bike winning, not a not a purple and white Pramac bike winning. Mm-hmm. If I'm Martin, it's really hard for me to think that it's going to get much better at a factory team when I've got a team I'm already showing I can win. And you have the same I'm, level of equipment. I've got the same level of equipment. Unless Ducati does something really wild here at the end and does something which I don't I don't think would they would do. Um at the end of the day, it's a Ducati is a Ducati, and every Ducati rider wants a chance to win a championship. So I look at it like next year there's going to be a guy on a Ducati on a satellite team, and if you're going to try to prevent him from winning, then what was the point of him going there in the first place? You know. Yeah. So I'm hoping I mean, that I hope that with Martin, they you know he can race hard all the way to the end. Unless Bagnai and his team get Friday figured out, because they just and I've been saying this now for a couple of weeks in a row, Friday's killing them. They're so far behind when That's Friday weird. is over. So weird. The last, it, it, it hasn't been the last two races. It's been probably six races now. And Martin's got Friday figured out. Let me know. ask you a question, Greg. I just mm-hmm. thought about this right now. Martin wins the championship. Mm-hmm. Does, does Ducati make, let him and Bastianini swap places so they can run the number one plate on a red Ducati? Personally, 
without knowing the relationship between them and the owners of the owner of Pramac? Yeah. The answer is hell no. Yeah. You, you leave that number one plate on your one of your best customers' bikes. Pramac. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm one million percent with you on this. Yeah. I, it's it's an interesting idea proposition. I don't know what you you know if that would be something that they would do, but I think that uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. So the other talk too is. You know, Greg, we're we're only three weeks away from the first preseason test, the one right after Valencia. That's a good point. And I, I haven't talked about anybody on the second seat at that Honda bike yet. So, you know, I, I gotta think I gotta think that DeGi Antonio gets the job. I, I, I wanna think that. Who was the other person last week when I was in Chile? Yeah. I saw someone they had well, talks with someone, he turned him down. Well, they've been talking about Fermin Aldegar. They've been talking about yeah. a couple of guys coming from from Moto Two, um, like Dixon, Aldegar. Um, I think even Sergio Garcia's name was in there. Um, but the thing is, is that it's like Digi Antonio right now has at least shown that he has pace. Oh no, he's ridden a Marini. MotoGP bike. Marini, yeah, Luca I saw Marini. that. Luca Marini, yeah, I saw like, that. What? Why would he? Why would he go? Right? Why? There's no sense in that. So. Um, you have a better yeah, chance no of sense. saying to VR46, we'll give you we'll give you satellite Hondas to put Marini on and him yeah, leaving that team. Good. That's not happening. So I think that when you uh, when you kind of start to look at some of that stuff, you go, I don't know who they're going to get, but it's such a weird position to see. Like, it's such a weird position. And and Zarco would I Zarco would probably be a pretty good person to put on the Repsol bike with Mir. Um, it's just hard to say, but Deji Antonio has shown pace, but it's that thing where he's been on a Ducati and I think anything else he jumps on is not going to be what he's used to. So but on the other hand, on the other hand, depending on his intelligence level, right, that this, this is the whole rumor about Marquez getting on Ducati for a year, learning everything he can going back to Honda. You get DG Antonio is coming straight off that bike. I, I think he races a 2022. But even still, he's going to have a lot of knowledge. And if you're looking for that type of information superhighway to what's yeah. Ducati doing and what can we do to figure it out, I mean, everybody's got the same ECU. So whatever their secret sauce is, depending on his level of, you know, expertise, how much how much he understands squiggly lines and doesn't understand it, he could bring you know pose a value to right. Honda developing forward. You know, so it's, no, it's, I, I there's just, a lot of there's I, a lot of data channels to figure out as to what goes into it. But first and foremost, uh, we Jason and I are just shocked. I mean, we're shocked that we're talking about HRC not being able to find someone to ride their motorcycle because everybody's passing. I Pretty mean, it, it, I, I would have never thought I saw this day. Never thought heard of. Yeah, I think about it all the time too. I think, wow, it's just so incredible to see Honda in this position. So, you know, Greg, I think overall they're, they're racing. MotoGP stuff has been been really good this year. I the last three rounds are going to be super interesting to see how they play out. They go to uh, they go to Sepang this weekend, then they go off to Doha, and then from Doha they go to Valencia and three tremendous circuits, great circuits, and the championship's going to come all the way down to the wire in Valencia. So it's going to be fun to see how that how that whole thing plays out. I think the Ducatis this weekend are going to be beyond strong. Obviously, at a track like Sepang, um, it looks to me like you know there's there's some corners there that lead on to big straightaways where acceleration is key, um, and then it's got some really fast flowing stuff as well. So yeah, it's it's 
it's going to be going to be interesting. In uh, you want to do fantasy real quick since we're doing the MotoGP stuff? Mm, sure. Um, go ahead. Whatever. Let's see. Well, I mean, look. All right, look, fantasy. It's Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore. There's yeah. only three left for you to jump in. We, we're giving away an Arai helmet and Dunlop Q5s to the winner of our league. And then second place gets Q5s. Third place is going to get Q5s from Dunlop. But even if you join us for these last three or the last two or the last one and put your name in the ring mm. for Jason Pridmore to spend some time with him one-on-one, we have 389 players right now. And all 389 people are eligible. Well, I'm in. You're in. So 387 people. Well, Kolb's in. He can't. He can't win it. Simon can't win it. There's a few people mm. we're going to exclude from this whole situation. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, those of you that are <laughs> not part of Jason's inner circle, you're going to get a chance to go one on one with Jason Pridmore. So 389 people in the pool. Well, Kolb and- doesn't do fantasy anyways. He's because he's just a little scared. Well, no, he's just he's just such a he's just Kolb. a negative he's Nancy. He's he's Kolb. He's all into his crawl right now, so he's getting all like. Oh, is he doing crab McGrab again? Yeah, he's like. Beat him oh, up, tough guy thing again, you know. So, like, you got to be a little careful around him now. So, is the again. four time? Is he not coming back? Or well, three com- time? What is he? A three time? Four time? One and two with asterisks. You talking Formula Forty? Yeah, Formula Forty, CBMA. Yeah, yeah. yeah right? He's he's not doing Formula trophy 40. because he was the only guy that signed up for all the races. Right? Is that right? Pretty much something like uh, that. Yeah. Anyways, Kingfisher's leading with twenty six eighty nine. Motor Ranch, 46, 26, 76. So 13 points separate first to second. AMA, somebody, 91, is third. GP Wanabi is fourth. Team Chow. So, yeah, we got uh, your boy still running there in eighth, Greg. He is. We've got, um, I'm trying to see, he's in a good spot. He's in a great spot. He still has two turbos left. So he's only, what is he back, Greg? He's uh, 80 points back, something like that. Yeah, I'm looking at more of the podium. So, like, the podium for him, at currently, he's about 68 points back. Yeah, he's not bad. Not bad. So, I, I, you know, you go down this list, and you see people that were leading at one point that aren't there anymore. And, yeah, I, I finally used a turbo. I'm up to 113th now. Wow, so impressive. <laughs> it's been it's been a – and I, and I, did, I did turbo Martin last week. So, I didn't jinx him too bad. Which good. He ended up winning both races for me. So that was solid. I made some big changes last week. So my team looks like this now. I have Bagnaya and Brad Bender. And then I have Maverick, who killed me. And then I have Augusto Fernandez, who got me zero points last week, period. Then I have Ducati, and I changed my team. So my team is now Red Bull KTM. Is Vinales maybe the weirdest rider ever in the last 10 years? He's like a... And sometimes on Friday... See, that's the problem. Sometimes with my schedule, I have to look at Friday only. Like, I don't uh-huh. have that window to watch morning warm-up and make the decision before qualifying. Yeah. And it's it's been killing me because Bagnaya has been stinking Friday, so I lose confidence and move him to silver. And then I don't have enough money to buy Martin and then buy somebody else. Yeah. And then Vinales is like, on Friday, he's like, ah, P1, P2. And you're like, this is his weekend. Yeah. And then you don't hear from him again until next Friday. That's right. Killing no, it sucks. I want to catch Uncle Skip. Oh, where's Skippy at? He's twenty fourth. He scored a hundred. <laughs> he, he, hey, he scored one hundred and sixty eight points last week. He's got no turbos left. 
I scored 222 points last week, and I got two of them, and I got two turbos left. Look, the most important thing you can do for yourself right now is you need to catch and reel in JP and Greg hold hands, okay? Because JP and Greg do not hold hands. Now, Jason well, I mean, touches me inappropriately in the booth. All right, but it's spooned a few times. A couple times. Maybe he's grabbed my hand before, but we don't hold oh, yeah. hands. No. Right? So no. he's 102. You're at 113. I'm, a, I'm, I'm on my way there. Now, I'm, also I'm in the draft, right in, in the draft, it's, it's, you're catching a whiff is JP steals Greg's donuts mm. in 61st place. All right? Yeah. You're like 80 ish points behind. JP Steele's Greg Donuts has got one turbo left. You got yep. two. So yep. make something happen. Beat I'm JP 43 is completely fallen off, gone. Did you see, like, every time I go through these things real quick, sorry we're on a tangent, everybody, but <laughs> I, I I, just crack up at the names. Fueled up, fuck up. <laughs> so great. 70th. <laughs> so, yeah, anyhow. Trying to roll forward. Creativity coming, folks. World Superbike. Final round of World Superbike, Greg, was at Jerez. Same weekend as this race was over in Thailand. Um, Hey, check it out. Batista won the world championship. Get out of town. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. I can't make this shit up. Wait, did did Batista win every race, too, in Spain? No, he... Well, technically, yes, he did. Mm. Uh, But we'll get to that in a second. it was an interesting weekend because it, you know, I was just there a couple of weeks prior and the weather was absolutely perfect and warm. And when those guys were there at Jerez, it looked at like it was a little bit, it was a little bit chillier. Um, and, you know, things kind of went as you would think that they would, they would go. Um, I think that coming into this one, there were people thinking that it was going to be a little easier for some guys to, to, to beat Batista here. He ended up, putting it on pole over Agurda. Alex did a great job, ended up third. Johnny was fourth. Remy Gardner, fifth. Odell uh, was was sixth. Top Rack was all the way back on row seven. Or, I'm sorry, row three with, with, Garrett, with Garrett. So Top Rack was, didn't qualify that great. Didn't do, you know, but he did his, his normal top, top Rack stuff. And when you go back and you think about this weekend, of racing, um, where do you start? I, I the the first race of the weekend, Batista beats Resgate uh, Top Rack by um, like one point one seconds. Locatelli was third. Johnny was fourth. Petrucci, Odal, Lowe's, Rinaldi, Lacavona. Early in the race, Alex and Johnny were up front on the Cowies, and you could see the demise of the rear tires as they started to slide backwards. And people were able to catch him and go by them. Batista really, once he got out in front, he kind of controlled this race. And he won it by more than 1.1, really, because he came across the line, obviously winning the championship, standing on the pegs, that, that kind of thing. So, first off, congrats to him and Ducati for winning the championship. That's great. Um, we'll see what happens, you know, if any of the weight limits make any big difference, uh, you know, next year. In the Super Bowl race, um, I'm just pulling up the results right now, Greg. In Super Bowl race, Tommy. it it was yeah. I mean, it was a it was a great race. Scottyoglu wins over Batista, so yeah, he didn't win all the races. Greg, sorry, um, he wins over Batista. Johnny ends up third in this one. Alex was fourth, close though between what the top six guys. Gardner was fifth. What kind of a come out weekend for Gardner this weekend uh, at Jerez? Not only was he 
quick all race weekend long, but in the test, he ended up on the Monday, he actually ended up being fastest. Um, and even Redding was sixth on the BMW. All six riders were separated, Greg, by 0.8 of a second. Just off of them was Bassani and Gerloff, just a tick behind them. So the Super Bowl race was good, but I think the one that we want to really talk about is final race of the year. Um, it was incredible, to be honest, watching what Top Rack does. To ride a bike the way he rode it for that entire race and just being relentless and pestering Batista every chance he could get. He did not. It reminded me a lot of Rossi and Stoner at Laguna, where it was like, no matter what, Rossi knew that he couldn't let Stoner get into a groove up front. And Top Rack just refused to let Batista get into any groove. Even when it looked like Batista had made the break where he went down the front straightaway without being passed down into turn one, you kind of thought, well, that's it. And it wasn't. Um, Top Rack was just relentless. It was so fun to watch. It was awesome. By the way, the the results that you just called out about Super Sport or the Super Pole race, yeah, it was a red flag race, and that was the results from the first red flag. So the actual oh, I'm sorry, results I were. That up. It's fine. <clears throat> the way they do it in World Superbikes, super strange. So the actual results for the Super Pole were Batista, Agurta, and Ray, and Rasgat Liago was fourth. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That that yeah. So so that sorry was, about that. Everybody screwed it up. No no no. It's totally yep. fine. It was just. It's just I've made that exact same mistake with the way that they do that, um, yeah. like the way they space them out. Like you got to so like there's these links you click on. It's a Super Pole race. But then if you look to the right, it's a Super Pole race restarted. It's got like, it. why are you giving me the results from the first from from the first red flag bit? Like, I don't even understand it. But yeah. So so here's the thing that is kind of alarming to me personally. Alvaro Bautista ends up scoring 628 points on the season. Now there's three, you know, three. A two and a half race points, right? Like per weekend. Mm-hmm. Where's Axel Bassani going? Next Sorry. Week. Axel Bassani finished sixth in the championship with 249 points, two points behind Michael Rubin Rinaldi, right? Tip of the cap to Bassani, only two points behind. Okay. And he's going to, he's going to replace Johnny Ray. Mm-hmm. What I want to point out to you, Jay, is Jonathan Ray finished third in this championship. Mm-hmm. With 270 points. Johnny Ray finished 258 points behind Bautista, third in the championship. Crazy. That's more than the difference between fifth place and first place. Meaning Michael mm-hmm. Rubin Rinaldi had 51. Bassani had 249. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Like, Johnny Ray's way better. Yeah. If that doesn't tell you the disparity of where the equipment is, as part of the argument, I mean, what else is there to say? Yeah. Well, it's it's always going to be difficult. Like, and it goes back to what we said in MotoGP. If a Gian Antonio goes and gets on the Honda, it's a different world. When I went from that Banson Heinz Ducati back in the day and I went to a Yosh bike, it was, you know, it's like it's one thing to be able to get up front on, on what I was riding then on that Ducati. And then when I got on the Yosh bike, it was like, whoa, this is really, really, really super hard work. And you know, the fact is, is that I had Matt there. He was helping me, and but I just didn't have the experience. And I think that when you look at it, a guy like Bassani, you have to remember, Greg, there's very few riders still really making a living racing motorbikes. And Bassani was riding for that, uh, was riding for his team, for the uh, the Ducati team he was on. And, and the thing that you got to look at is he, he wanted to make a living. He wants to make, these guys want to make money. They have to. So, yeah. And in a in a big in a big world, you sit there and go, well, 
if he could have stayed with the same team and made three hundred grand, or he can go to Kawasaki and make three hundred grand, or whatever it is they're making, right? Like, why wouldn't you just stay on the Ducati? Because you know you're going to be capable. Well, of and that 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 to me is the point of Jorge Martin going to the factory bike, or Axel Bassani going from a privateer Ducati to a factory cow, mm-hmm. or yeah, to a factory Cowie. The Dasani thing, or Bassani makes Dasani. The Bassani thing makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. You're going to a factory team. If you're in there and you're doing a good job and you're keeping your head down, you don't know. Maybe Kawasaki decides they're going to, you know, redevelop the bike. Maybe the rules are going to change. Bassani finds himself teammates with, excuse me, Alex Lowe's. That that move, that risk makes sense. Yeah. The other one, Jorge Martin going to the factory bike is basically just a change of shirt. It's a change Correct. of leather color. Right. If you're getting the same level of equipment. Yep. You know, so so Ducati's got to make the decision about how they're going to treat Pramac Ducati and how they're going to treat that the owner of that team and the management of that team if they decide, oh shoot, the number one plate's got to go to a Lenovo colored bike because right. we have our because that's that's what it would look like you're doing. Correct. As I agree with you. As opposed to having that number one bike on Prima Pramac, which is you know, I think the guy who owns Pramac owns the company Pram like the team owns yeah. Pramac. Okay. Prima, I'm not sure what Prima is. I don't know if it's another sponsor or another division of his company. I think it's a different sponsor altogether. So that's the thing you got to look at. That team's funded and sponsored and all that kind of stuff. But again, the relationship there. So I agree with you. Like, I'm not saying Bassani should have gone to Kawasaki. 100%. You're going from private to Ducati to Kawasaki. And mark my words now, Jay, I think that Axel Bassani scores more than 251 points in next year's championship. I think it's going to be harder. I mean, he's got two more Ducatis to deal with. We, you know, Ian Oni showed that he was fast in Jerez, which is amazing. I thought it was was really incredible. I, I I don't know. I don't know if I could stick my neck out and say that he'll get more points than he did this year. It'd be a difficult one for me to say. I I would hope that Kawasaki has something in the pipeline in the next year or two, or they're working on something now for twenty five because I could see them getting left behind. Um, the package that they have now is is solid. They got a great foundation and a good, you know, all that. But it's just it needs some love now. I'm going to bring one other thing up, and I know I, I I I try to stay like when you talk about Top Rack and what what he did over that last race, the 28 laps or whatever it was, Greg. I don't know if people can appreciate how hard it is to ride a motorcycle at that level like that for that long. Like like the feel, the fitness, everything else that he has, it is ex- it's exhausting watching it. Like it's difficult, you know. It's like qualifying lap every lap it's unreal like the fact that he can just keep finding it within himself and you know the the funny part was i forget who i was talking to about this i was at button willow on monday i went out there and rode with let's ride track days on monday and i got into the discussion i think it was with wyatt uh ferris i saw wyatt out there and um we were talking about the the fact that he can you know we've seen a lot of riders over the years be able to get a a rear wheel off the ground and the braking and this and that. What he's capable of doing with the bikes tipping in and still keeping the wheels in line and how he does that is an art. Like it's like something that the guy has got such tremendous feel over the amount of lever he pulls on, how his body reacts to the rear wheel in the air and how he can still keep the bike in line and set the rear wheel down without it getting out of shape or out of control. The racecraft, the bike is, is is amazing. But one of the things that was funny I said to Wyatt was Top Rack knows that he is in there as deep as he as deep as anybody could possibly be. Like 
I fully believe that you can look at what he does and go, there's not going to be anybody that's going to be able to go up underneath him and hold the line, right? Because Bautista was trying to go underneath him in the last corner because he drives so hard through those rights. He positioned himself there. But it was like Toprak knew that if you're going to go underneath me, there's no way you're making it, and I'm going to cut it back up underneath you. And to know your racecraft and to be able to perfect it the way he has, it's going to be interesting to see the direction that this BMW goes. Um, talking to Wyatt, he was talking about, he's like, you know, when the rear of the bike gets really light on the Beamer, it doesn't always come down straight. And we heard Garrett say that too, Gerlach. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's something that they're going to be able to do with that bike to help accommodate the way top rack brakes. Mm. And, and if it's still going to be able to, I know with the Yamaha, he was able to run him and Locatelli and Gardner. They could run tires that were softer, that would last longer. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to do that on the BMW. There's a lot of things to be in, that are going to be interesting. What did you think of his penalty on the last lap? Whose? Top racks. Top racks? What do you think I thought of it? I know what you thought of it. Same thing I did. I, you know, it's it's funny. Um, my buddy Rusty, we we were talking about F one the other day, and he goes, "You know why I hate F one, JP?" I said, "Why is that?" He goes, "Because they're the ones that implemented all these stupid rules that motorcycles are now implementing." And I'm like, "You know, it is exactly right. It's the thing that I think bummed me out more than anything is the celebration of Ducati once they saw that Top Rat got disqualified. If you could look at that race." And not feel like uh, we really legitimately got second in that race. Like we did. We got legitimately second in that race. That guy rode his fairies off to beat us. <laughs> and I wouldn't, Greg, I, you know me. You know me pretty well, right? Yeah. I will tell you right now that if I'm Batista or anybody else, I I wouldn't even feel like taking the victory. It It's like, and to see Ducati their garage light up the way it did once they found out that top rack was disqualified. It, to me, it just pissed me off. Yeah. Like I would, I would be disappointed in my team for reacting that way. Yeah, we won. Okay, great. But it needs to be a little bit more of a subdued, like, Hey, we won, but that guy, we got to give credit to that guy. And they'd already won the championship a day or two before or the day before. It's like, like, stop. You didn't win that race. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just frustrating. It's really frustrating. You know, it's funny, too, because I see it in archery. Yeah. So when you're in a finals match, you shoot one arrow at a time, three arrows up, you know, and then you do that five times, meaning like you and I are competing. You're in you're in target one. I'm in target two. You go first. You shoot a 10. I shoot a 10. You have 20 seconds, right? Then you shoot. Then I shoot. Then you shoot. You know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> There's a situation and this happens all the time. So let's say that we get towards the end of the match and in, yeah. in compound, you're, it's a cumulative scoring situation. So let's say that I know that basically I'm up, I'm up by a few points and you shoot and the first arrow is a nine. And I know, and I shoot a 10, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. There's a point in the middle of those arrows on arrow number two, where if I miss it, I, there's no possible way I can win. There's not enough points left on the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of a situation. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's very interesting to listen to the crowd down there. They knew what was going on. Because you have, especially there was there was a bronze medal match where it was a United States, this guy Brady Ellison, who is like Olympic bronze medalist, Olympic gold medalist on a team. He's probably one of the most popular recurve Olympic recurve archers in the world. And against a Chilean archer. 
this guy, Roberto, Roberto Soto. Okay. And <clears throat> there's a point in which people love him, but the Chileans who were down there, Jason screaming their heads off for every time this guy was shooting an arrow. And when Brady missed one of his arrows in the middle of the match, the crowd could have yelled because they knew the match was over at that point. You know right. what I mean? Yep. They could have yelled. And basically what you're doing at that point, though, is you're yelling at the failure or the exactly. misfortune That's of right. the other competitor. Oh, it's and, 100%. You know, and that yep. to me is what it felt like. Like the crowd didn't do it. But if someone had yelled out, yay, because he shot a bat, you know, he shot an eight instead of like a 10 that he needed to stay alive. It, it, you would have been like cringing. It would have been like, right. oh my God, what are you doing? No, and so that's why it's it's kind of like, that's what you're doing you, in a way. I mean, I understand that technically they say Top Rack, you know, broke the rules and yep. whatever, whatever. But that's how it feels to me sometimes. It's like, yeah, you're not too. cheering for your win. It feels like you're cheering for the bad luck or the mistake or the downfall just, of your opponent. And you're just like, come on, man. It's, it's such a difficult thing because there's people within Ducati that I love, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's, it goes the same way. It's the same thing when you golf, Greg, like I don't want to win a match by watching you miss a two footer on the last hole. That's to me is, you know, it's mm-hmm. like if 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 you make a fifteen footer or something to 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 win, great. But it's like I just thought it was pretty classless um, in that regard. Where it's like, what a tremendous way to end the season! Tremendous race. Look, I know how hard these teams work to win races. I get that. I get it. And if it was, let's just say for argument's sake, let's say it's an Axel Bassani who was running second in Top Rack did that, and that's that team's first victory ever. You go, okay, I can see that. Those guys are pumped. They finally are going to be able to etch their names in a book that says, we won, even though this happened. For Batista's crew to get like the way they were and just stupid, excited like that, to me, kind of pissed me off. And it's, it's, uh, I just thought it was a little bit classless anyways. But Top Rack, a lot of things happening. They did a, te- they did a test the day after. And obviously Top Rack, the big news there was that he wasn't allowed to do it. And Yamaha has come out and said that they gave him an option and this and that. Steve English has some pretty good insight on some of that stuff too. So maybe we'll talk to him about that in the coming weeks. Um, maybe after uh, Valencia race, we can, you know, during the off season, we'll get him on here talking about some of that. Johnny loved the bike. Gardner was quick. I think another story coming back was Iannone, tremendously fast right off the bat um, on his new team. Um, Bassani got to go out and ride his bike. Not really a lot. Out of that test, Greg, I don't think, other than it was a shakedown for some guys to kind of see what they're going to be, what they're going to have um, going into next season. And um, and learning the, the crew and the mechanics crews, and all that stuff. Big, I know. Big, really um, important, yeah. I know that, dude, I'm so pumped. Pity is, Andrew Pitt is is the crew chief for Johnny over there at, 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 the, at the Yamaha team now. So, and I think that they're going to be picking up somebody from MotoGP for Locatelli is kind of the word on the street, I think. Mm. Um, so Locatelli will have a new crew chief because Pitt, Andrew Pitt was his crew chief. So you had that same scenario there in Kata Yamaha that you had in Kawasaki where guys that have been there for a while are just moving around, you know, keep it fresh, um, and then and then kind of see where it goes. But I'm excited about um, I'm excited about World Superbike next year. I know that the Ducati had to put some some weight ballast on their bikes, and Batista's crying already about, "Oh, if it's no fun anymore, I'm 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 going to retire if it's dangerous." I mean, just stop. Like it just it, it is kind of like you just kind of get tired of of it. You know, it's like it's um it's one of those things where 
We want to see the racing get close. But this is what Dorna, this is what World Superbike, MotoGP, this is what they've created, right? As you would say, they've yeah. created this. Um, where it's like, I wish we could just go back to the days of everybody build the best bike you can under this set of guidelines and then let's go. That would be that would be better, I think. You know, I, rather than having to keep on. No matter what, people are always going to feel slighted. Yeah, without question. And so, it's also just the risk of production-based racing. That's correct. Know? That's correct. So the market, the um, market there's got to be a market to sell these bikes, and that's right. You know, so no, you're 100 percent right. So I think it's going to be uh, interesting next year. Um, but Greg, this week Malaysia is on the docket. Um, I'm headed out. I leave tomorrow, so we're going to be watching all of. Uh, well, I'm going to be out there for the Malaysia race and the Doha race. Don't forget fantasy this week, and uh, you leave next when Tuesday. Tuesday, yep. But you leave in you leave in uh, in the afternoon. P- yeah, five p.m. So hopefully, if you get time in the morning, we could. I could do when it. You're out at the racetrack. We could get it done Tuesday. We can kill it Tuesday morning. That would be ideal. Get this podcast going. Um, you have any? I will not be in first class on the way back. I'll, I'll, I'll the way down. I'll be back in coach. So, Greg spent two hundred thousand miles of his forty million that he has. I'm sure. To fly from uh, to fly from Chile back to, to Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. Did you? And then did you catch a connector? You didn't. Yeah, you didn't drive. Yeah, down and to then Atlanta. I just go. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just a, jumped on a connector. The my layover though is only an hour and a half, and it was pretty pretty snug because you got to get off the plane, go through customs, and grab your bags, and then go you know like recheck your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, so yeah. That whole the whole getting your bag thing because it, it's for. I can't remember four thousand something like that, three yep. and a half thousand athletes, and wow. this was like the first after the closing ceremonies. This was the first Delta flight back, and yep. Delta, you know, supports the Olympics, and so there's a lot of U.S. teams that fly Delta. As a matter of fact, there was like like Team USA stuff that was uh, at the, at the gate, like American flags and Team USA stuff. It was really nice, yep. so it was packed, packed with athletes, and when you play a sport that's an Olympic sport. It, then your equipment flies for free, even if you're yeah, a non-athlete, yeah. right? So you know how on most places your golf clubs fly free. Yeah, my archery equipment and people's like, uh, um, like the boats for the stuff and the you know all the equipment. So it took forever to get the gear. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I have that same thing like an hour and a half layover on the way home. But anyway, uh, all right. Well, we'll see. Down well, there for another nine days, so I'll be down there with the mic and I'll have a better good. internet connection. I got plans for that, so we could do the podcast following that before i come home yeah perfect perfect and i'll take my stuff with me and um yeah thanks everybody for uh listening in enjoy the races from sepang this weekend and uh we'll talk to you next week see everyone 